Thanks, Laurie. Friends, let's pray. Dear Lord and Father, for what you give, help us to receive. For what you say, help us to listen. For what we learn, help us to be thankful. And we ask this because we are servants of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Principal, for the invitation. Hello, everyone online. Uh, congratulations or congratulations. I'm absolutely thrilled and thank God for you. Uh, it is so wonderful that you have put the work in that you have to get to the stage that you have today. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every Christian school uh, at least offered the PTC to their students in the senior years? What a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. Friends, you have studied the gospel. In the PTC subjects that you have applied yourself to, from the Old Testament to the New Testament subjects, from doctrine, church history, to apologetic subjects, you have studied the gospel. Now allow me to ask, what will you do with that knowledge? What will you do with that knowledge? I want to take you tonight to Paul's letter to the Romans and just to a few, the few verses in the opening chapter, uh, which you can see printed there on page five, because Paul outlines for us, first, who the gospel is about, and second, what the gospel does. And for all those esteemed theologians now before me, now that you have graduated, and to your families who've supported you, there is a challenge here for each of us. Have you ever been served a meal where each component creates a wonderland for your taste buds and you walk away full to the brim? The Apostle Paul serves up a theological feast for those who received and read this letter and we have that meal before us. He writes about the gospel of God. The word gospel is a way to say good message, good tidings. To be simplistic, to hear a gospel, you are first hearing something that is good, something that is for your benefit, something that can be celebrated. But for that good thing to be known, it needs to be communicated a good message, a good tidings, some good news is hardly news if it is never said. That good news could be anything. But when we speak of the gospel of God, we speak of something that God has given us that is both good by nature and communicated for the benefit of others, us included. Paul describes four characteristics of the gospel in these verses. Each characteristic helps us, helps us as readers grasp with more certainty just how good the gospel of God really is. And you should see it is about God's Son and our Lord. First, the gospel is about a scriptural son. Verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. 
This tells you something of the intention of the gospel. It's not a message that's made up on the spot. It was promised beforehand. It was intentionally put in place. Imagine for a moment being given a letter that was written before you were even born and opening it to find that it is, a, it is addressed to you detailing what has been put in place to make your life better. The fact that this letter exists should tell you something about how special and loved you are. The Holy Scriptures refer to the writings of the Old Testament, most specifically to the prophets or the Psalms, which delivered the words of God and were recorded some 2,000 years prior. Those who have studied any of the PTC units, as you have studied the PTC units from the Old Testament, you would be familiar with how the Old Testament points forward to the coming of a son who would be Lord. That scriptural and promised son is Jesus. Second, the gospel is about David's son, verse 3, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. The mention of David should prick our royal watching interest, for it was to King David that a royal son was promised, the one who would be Messiah, the one who would reign forever. And so those who have studied promise to fulfilment, those who have studied Old Testament two subjects, you should be able to tell us that 2 Samuel 7 is the key passage which will make this point for us. And time and time again, the prophets of the Old Testament are told of a Messiah who would come from the house of David. That earthly, human king, that Messiah that descendant of David arrives with Jesus. Third, the gospel is about God's son. Verse four, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. There's a bit going on in this verse. Let's look at what it means to be appointed Son of God. When we appoint someone, we place them in a position. We appoint them as principal or academic registrar or deputy registrar of the PTC or whatever the position might be. Previously they were not and now they are. That's not what's going on here. It's not as if the son was placed in a position suddenly as the son of God. What this means is that the Son is declared to be the Son of God. That something happened to show us all that he is the Son of God. And that, of course, happens as Jesus rises from the dead. Had the description of the gospel ended in the verse before, we would have an earthly king who lived and died. And he would have been an important feature of history. He would have stood alongside all of the kings that followed in the line of David. But by stating that this king has also risen from the dead, we have now lifted the stakes 
and shown his importance above all others because he has done what no one else has done before. Friends, the gospel of God proclaims the extraordinary credentials of one who was not just earthly, but heavenly. Not just David's royal son, but God's eternal son. God's risen and eternal son is the resurrected Jesus. And fourth, the gospel is Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is Jesus Christ our Lord. And just in case we were not clear who the scriptural son was, or who David's son was, or who God's son was, Paul states plainly by giving his full title, end of verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord, and beautifully brings together what we've just learned about the son. Scripture speaks of a Messiah and a Lord. The New Testament word for Christ is a way to translate the Old Testament word Messiah, which means the anointed one. Christ is a royal title. So to call Jesus Christ is to acknowledge his royal lineage as one who comes from the line of King David. And the word Lord is a way to translate the Old Testament name of God, Yahweh. So to call Jesus Lord is to acknowledge his authority as one who is God. Jesus, the Christ, is Lord. Yet there is one more aspect about the gospel that we should notice, and it's easy to jump straight over. And it's what makes this so relevant to each one of us here today, wherever we might be watching or sitting or listening. This is not just declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. It's proclaiming Jesus Christ our Lord. This gospel is personal. This gospel has been given for us, not because we are so special or so important, but so that we can personally know God. Graduates, you have studied the gospel. You have studied Jesus Christ, our Lord. Of this graduating group, seven countries are represented. Australia, Malaysia, UK, Italy, Laos, Pakistan, New Zealand. What will you do with this knowledge? Of this graduating group, there are school students right through to retirees. What will you do with this knowledge? Of this graduating group, there are 50 churches represented at at least seven different denominations. What will you do with this knowledge? Greater than knowledge is a conviction that comes with knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a conviction that Paul knew and shares here in Romans, for he knows what the gospel does. Can I show you? 
Well, you're all scholars now. You know how to read your Bibles. You've been doing the PTC. You can see it for yourself, but you might need to look down to verse 14. The first thing is this. With great news comes an obligation. He says, Paul says, he's obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. If we say we are obligated, it's usually in the sense that we owe someone, we are indebted. That's not what Paul's saying here. He is driven by a task that has been given him, a responsibility which he knows he has to fulfil. A family member gives you a package, asks you to deliver it, not because you owe them, but because they have asked. The obligation you are now under is to deliver that package. The gospel of God, which has been given to Paul, is what he is now obligated to deliver to all, Jew or to Greek or not, wise or fool. He is the good news deliverer, which is why he is so eager in verse 15 to say, preach the gospel. This good news is not Paul's good news. It is news which should be delivered to those that it's intended for, to all people, from then, right through until today. The reality of the gospel is that God sent Jesus not just to be my saviour and Lord, but to be their saviour and Lord. It's not just my great news, it's their great news. Graduates, do you see this obligation? Take what you have learned in your studies and fulfil this obligation by sharing the gospel with those around you. And families, if that happens to be you that they're sharing it with, then let me say this good news is actually your news. It was first given so that it could be given to you. The second conviction is that it comes with, no, that comes with knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. It saves. Verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. The gospel is not a magic trick that you can wave over someone and say a magic word. Bam, someone ends up in heaven. It is the realisation that all that is right and good about God has been given to the world to save it. I met with a gentleman who was thinking about joining the church where I serve. He had left his previous church and when I asked him why, he said it was because they kept calling him a sinner. So I asked him, was he? Yes, of course. He just didn't want to be reminded of it all of the time. He wanted to go to church, to a church that just preached the gospel. 
So he asked me, if I come to your church, will you call me a sinner? Now tell me, esteemed, knowledgeable, studied friends, what would you say here? I don't really want to be known as a pastor of a church that calls everyone a sinner. I don't want our church to be known as one that calls everyone a sinner. Yet, I know in myself that I am a sinner. And I know the value of being reminded of that fact often, not in an oppressive way, but in a way that helps me constantly to listen to the great news about Jesus. I don't like the fact that I'm a sinner, but I love the fact that I have been saved from my sin and that God has done that for me in Jesus. If Jesus has died for my sin and risen to give me my life, I need to acknowledge that sin is real. So I said to the man, if you do come to the church I pastor, there will be times when we will talk about sin. And that is because we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save people from their sin. Graduates, do not be ashamed by the gospel which has saved you. You have good news. In fact, great news. And you can share it with any person who knows that they're not perfect. And the final conviction that comes with knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it reveals God. For in the gospel, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is, all that is right and good about God, all that is fair and just about God, all that is loving and clear about God is revealed. It is very natural for humanity to look carefully at that which has been revealed. Maybe it's there in our inherent FOMO. Uh, FOMO at play, you know, the fear of missing out. I've got to watch, I've got to look, I've got to, I've got to see, otherwise I might miss out on whatever it is that's going on. We see that something's happening and it takes a considerable amount of restraint to, to not stop what you are doing and become an interested bystander. Well, friends, when it comes to the gospel of God, it is revealed to humanity in the person of Jesus. We have been given every reason to stop and look carefully at what is revealed. And it is this gospel which calls people to faith. It is this gospel which shapes a person. And those who know this gospel from the first to the last will soon know how to live by the gospel. Faith in Jesus is the most fundamental response to God's gospel. Graduates, with all that you've studied in your PTC subjects, 
with all that knowledge that you've gathered, allow that knowledge to shape you in faith and how encouraging it is to hear testimonies of you as you stand up here and, and give us a picture of that. Live out your faith. Reveal the righteousness of God so that all will know that they are saved in Jesus. And friends, continue to exercise that inherent interest that we all seem to have to stop and look closely at what is being revealed, if not simply so that we can be sure that we are not missing out. Because as we study the word of God, my goodness, there's a lot there to see and there's a lot that's revealed for us. In fact, I'm not sure why I'm saying this only to the graduates today. This is something we can all be challenged by, as I think we've heard our principal already say. For this gospel is offered to all. And we know who the gospel is about. And we know what the gospel does. This is the gospel we proclaim. Let me pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you that there is so much about it that helps us recognise what you've done for us in Jesus. And we thank you that you have given us this gospel so that we can share it. Help us to proclaim Christ our Lord.